Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week's episode 71, and we're finishing part two of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. And we have quite the episode to talk about today. We've got chapters 56, 57, and our interludes for for part two of, of Oathbringer. Paul, how are you? And who's on our cup for our Patreon? I'm doing great. A little bit... Um, I don't want to say overwhelmed. I am feeling whelmed. Um, by our reading this week, we see a lot of big, we saw a lot of big things. Moderately whelmed. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely moderate to at least moderate to severely whelmed. So, anyways, uh, on our lovely cup this week, a lovely vase, uh, we have Stephen. So shout out to Stephen, our loyal supporter. Thank you, Thank and you. surgeon. Yeah, very big uh, fan of Stephen here. So. Ellie, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I I was not mentally prepared for what came in these chapters. I I had this marked as coming much later, and so when a certain name appeared at the end of this first chapter, I was like, wait, no, I'm not ready. I'm much like Dalinar, actually. That's totally exactly what Dalinar is like, right? the start of the next chapter he's like wait i'm not ready i'm not ready for this so yeah we can talk about this uh paul do you have two words to summarize this episode i do my two words for this week are feast and famine feast and famine and elliot i'm gonna cheat again and i don't have two words for you or, or maybe i'll crunch them together and, and make them two words my my words for this chapter are cranky old people that's definitely i love words. it I, I, I love it i can't i can't consolidate that to two words but let's use i can these, let's use these five words and talk about oathbringer I have to say, I I love it whenever we crunch a word together and just make two words <laughs> into had, one to just. It, it had to be. I tried to come up with one word that like explained all that, but I just I, I needed three. It had to be three. Cranky. Me too. Boomers. Cranky. Cranky. Old people. Boomers. <laughs> I said I'm going to offend a bunch of people out there. Yes. Yeah, so, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, oh, uh, Paul. You can you can start us with your two words. I would love to. So, uh, feast and famine are my two words, and primarily, I, I wanted to touch on the diversity of cultivation and the Night Watcher. I think we, I would say it's confirmed, at least in my mind. I don't know how fully confirmed it was. I would say ninety nine percent, at least in my mind, uh, until Trevor says something, and I'm like, eh, well, <laughs> just but all I'm gonna say before you say that, all I'm gonna say is who's telling you this information, right? And but yeah, right now we will run with it, and I think it would, I think it kind of makes sense. It can, mm, I like it. I, I think <laughs> this is cool. Um, basically, we're we've been given presented the information that the Night Watcher is cultivation who is a newer name on the block i feel like cultivation is more of like this book um seeing our cultivation spread and learning about like honor odium and cultivation which is kind of a weird third but i think that dynamic like we we've always heard of the night watchers as kind of like evil or at least really chaotic powerful figure and then I've always thought of cultivation as good, or at least kind of neutral, like a Mother Earth right. trope. And those are very, like, like those are pretty opposite ends of the, the spectrum there, like different sides. So I feel like Feast and Famine was, uh, like, kind of a good parallel to compare that to. Um, I thought you were just going to use it to describe our 
uh, levels of excitement through part two of we either get everything in one episode or nothing, <laughs> but that's not where you went with it. That's true. That's true. And also, um, we see Lyft, and so that's my other thing. She likes feasting, so. Gotcha. All right, Elliot. Of course. So, cranky old people, and I, oh, sorry, cranky old people, old people, because it's one word. Yeah, I, I feel like as the the elder statesman on the podcast, I I can at least get away with making fun of of cranky old people. Um, but yeah, don't don't get angry at me, old people out there. I'm in your same boat. The <laughs> I had to pick these words simply because we see several examples of some rather angry or at least uh, not so happy older ancient beings in these chapters we see odium who appears as an old man very much not what i was expecting um but yeah we'll, we'll talk about that in a second but then later on we also see another kremlin man Kremlin woman, sleepless thing, which I've kind of categorized them as like ageless or super old. And she was definitely not very thrilled about what the people around her was doing, a little cranky. And then we see Teravangian being a little cranky. And, <laughs> and then lastly, we even see one of our fused come back and take the form of a very cranky old soul that's here to just, yeah, step on everyone. So a lot of, a lot of cranky old people. And here, I thought that you guys, one of you would use the word passion because it's said like 16 times within these couple chapters, but somehow both of you had such more applicable words than passion, but that's totally fine. And that would be giving you what you want, Trevor, which is what I'm not here to do. That's true, yeah. All right, so the benefits of this week's episode is we get to just jump right in to some fairly exciting ex exciting chapters here it kind of starts off with you know what we've been getting used to for part two of of oathbringer dalinar brings yasna and navani into a vision to try to you know figure out some stuff about history and get some answers he, he also brings gox in at the same time and talking to him about trying to get him into the coalition you know but this is all fairly normal stuff that we've seen throughout part two and then what what were you guys' thoughts on this first half of the episode before we get a bomb dropped on us well something this something that actually struck me in this chapter that maybe we should have realized this before but i think navani kind of points it out they're they're coming into the vision and they're trying to, it seems like they're doing this for a lot of the vision. They're trying to date when are we and where are we? So they're looking around, looking at the architecture, the clothing, the weapons, what time period are we in? They come to the conclusion in this Feverstone Keep vision, the, the day of the recreants, that it's much, much, much later than the last desolation that has that other fancy name that I can never remember. Ahariatiam. That one, yes. So... And Navani kind of theorizes like, or maybe it's Dalinar together. They're kind of like, well, hang on a second. This is way after the last desolation, which should have been defeat of the Voidbringers. They all go get locked away. They're not coming back until a desolation comes again. Who are they fighting? If if there's no Voidbringers, who are the, the Knights Radiant off at war with for them to like, come back and then have the whole lay down their their weapons and armor scene. Like, and I think Yasna maybe has like a theory about this, but it, it didn't seem like it answered this for me. Like, this is this is a big question for me. What war is actually going on here? Any theories before I present a theory of myself? Go ahead. I think they're fighting one of our unmade. The, if it's the Midnight Essence, which we've seen them fight in a in a vision before, or one of the other unmade, that's causing some trouble. I think that's what they're fighting. It's one of the unmade, who are in a, kind of a different category than our Void Bringers that are fused. Do you like the idea of it being Spren related? 
because I'm getting the impression that what's going to cause the recreants is some kind of revelation about Spren. Some sort of unlocking of knowledge that's like, oh, wait a second, that's what's going on? Well, if that's true, then I'm out of here. That's kind of the way I'm envisioning this going down based on what we've learned. So it being Spren related makes a lot of sense. Being unmade, maybe they learn something from this unmade that they think is the enemy. And then all of a sudden, maybe they're wondering, ooh, what if this unmade is not the enemy? Like maybe that's the crisis that leads them all to to leave. I didn't even really have a theory. I'm just kind of like, I don't know, but I like that theory. Because if if you think about this, all the Knights Radiant laying down their arms couldn't, it, it may not even be Voidbringer related because they could in their heads think the Voidbringers are a thing of the past. We've defeated them. They're not even a part of the picture anymore. And then when they lay down their arms of, hey, the, what we're doing is wrong is what we're assuming is, is the revelation here is so we can no longer fight like this. It may not even be Voidbringer related because they could have assumed that the Voidbringers are, you know, a thing in the past, ancient. They're 2,000 years old at that point. So that's that's so far in the past. It's the same amount that this is to Navani and Dalinar um that it it's could not it could be not even related before we move on yeah the one thing i wanted to point out um and this isn't super important but i want to note that dalinar's powers with these visions are getting much stronger or we have seen some growth uh, because it specifically points out that getting into this vision he brings yasna and navani with him and it says he also does it like without there being a high storm was that what it was or right um which is just like new like new never been done before you know very cool um and i think that's pretty cool and i'm like i said kind of as we were setting out an oathbringer i was curious to see dalinar's powers and if he would develop these you know surge binding powers and we haven't seen anything really groundbreakingly new but we are seeing him get way better with what he can do which is really cool so i just wanted to highlight that before we moved too far on your wording was really funny there because he's a bondsmith and you said groundbreaking but i just wanted to i uh -huh. had a quick laugh to myself <laughs> about that yeah you would i would all right one more thing i'll mention before we move on to what i know we really want to get to is this vision, this one in particular, has taken on a very different meaning for us as readers, given what we've learned since right. the first time we saw it. Absolutely. This event where all those knights radiant lay down their weapons and break their bonds with their spren and walk away. Like before, we just thought, oh, it's a bunch of soldiers laying down their weapons and their armor and walking away from that. Like, oh, we know they're very valuable. We know that this is a big moment, but we had no idea the implications of what hundreds of people are doing there. And Downer even keys into it in this scene where he's like, I feel the pain. I just feel the pain in the air of what's happening, of all of these Spren being killed in this moment. Like I had to pause a little bit when I was reading. I was like, oh man, yeah. this is a this is an even bigger moment than I thought it was before. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many of these radiants all doing it at once and you got to think at yeah. least some of them have to have the same relationship that Calden and Syl have right of that exactly that they take care of each other they look after each other there there's a trust there and for all of them simultaneously to feel it necessary to sever that bond and leave their spren dead in the in the stone right in front of them for somebody else to pick up we're missing something <laughs> And at this point, Sanderson's just, you know, dangling in front of us. What could it be? Yep. This was actually very frustrating for me to read in a good way. Like, it, like I didn't dislike reading it. It was great and, and really impactful. But it was, like, very tantalizing of, like, what what could be happening here? Because whenever we first saw the recreants i believe that was before we even knew that 
shard blades were spren. It was long right? before, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we knew that there was this day where everyone gave up their shard blades, and I thought of that as like, oh, they're giving up these like very symbol of wealth and power and like things like that. But I didn't think anything about like the relationship or the like bond they have with their spren, and so that adds kind of another layer of like darkness in this day um and it is with what happens and then they start like fighting over it and things like that in this vision like it really feels like we're witnessing like the fall of humanity right pretty much and it's very like sad to to see and to read about so and it's it's kind of a footnote in this chapter but something interesting to key into is the Stormfather's reaction to what Dalinar says. Dalinar doesn't know why, and he's talking to Gox about, Gox asks him, you know, why would this happen? And Dalinar says, I don't know, but I do know that they failed Roshar in this in this moment. And the Stormfather agrees with Dalinar right there. So, And the Stormfather knows why they did it. So there's, at some point, you know, the, the Stormfather is not on the side of these Radiants, and he understands, like, obviously there's a bunch of Spren dying is why he's upset, so. I gotta say, I'm very hesitant to jump to that conclusion. Dalinar is very quick to say, oh, they all failed Rashar in this moment. I'm I'm nervous. I'm really nervous as to what the reason behind the Recreance is. Like, I am not willing to jump to say that. Right. If if there is this huge event that causes all of them to do something so painful and the Stormfather won't even tell Dalinar what it is because he thinks Dalinar is going to walk away, there might be a very good reason for what they're doing. So I'm not ready to jump and say they're doing the wrong thing here. It probably goes up on our chalkboard of things we're super nervous about. Dalinar's character is one of them, and then the cause of the recreance is probably right next to it. Anything else? In my mind, that's probably the top one that I'm nervous about. Because it's like, well, this seems like a it seems like kind of the pinnacle point in history of like And now I don't want to say bad decision making. <laughs> but the pinnacle moment of decision making, um, because it had to just be something in, insanely like but, monumental. And, and we, so. we analyzed this already, but to top it all off, Yasna knows what it is. Correct. Yasna so, knows. And the, the weird dynamic also here is she talks with Ivory about it. Ivory yeah. is her sprint. And she's talking with Ivory, like, candidly about it. Of, like, should we tell him? And eh, no, not really. Let, let's save it. You're like, this is something worth debonding your sprint over. And Yasta knows, and she doesn't want to tell anybody. Right. If it was that big, you'd think as soon as Yasna finds out, she marches right up to Dalinar and says, hey, look, buddy, you're not thinking about this. But she doesn't. So what could it be? If there is a character in our story that I would expect to share with the class, or at least share with Dalinar, I figured it would be Yasna. So. Certainly not. Uh, do we... Yeah. If Shalon knew, she would forget that she knows it because she keeps lying to herself about everything. Yeah, she would really, <laughs> she would really put it deep down and then we would find it. 10 books later, maybe. And then we'd be like, did that happen? Or was that Shalon like lying about <laughs> you know? No, that's too crazy. That wasn't, you know, no way. Um, but my question for Elliot, uh, and this is also a question to myself, of, do we think that this, what happened at the Day of Recreants, or that this whole thing is going to be like what the the big Sander Lynch in Oathbringer is like whenever we finish this book, do we think we're going to find that out? And that's going to be the big like mic drop moment or is this, is this even larger? Is this going to wait till book four and five? I, 
I think, yes, I think this is it. I think this is going to be the dilemma of this book. And I think I talked about it on a previous episode. It was probably two, maybe three episodes ago. I think this is building to a, a crisis moment for Dalinar. I think they are going to learn in the end of this book, in the Sandalanch of this book, what caused recreants and Dalinar is going to have a big, oh my gosh, all I've worked for to build is all based on this, which was wrong. Now what? And so does he, can he come to grips with whatever this is? And can he continue on with refounding the Night's Radiant and continue it? Or does it completely shatter everything and everything comes crashing down and he says, nope, I can't keep going. And they do walk away that like that decision is going to be the like selling Oathbringer to buy all the bridge for people moment of this book. And I know that's super specific and probably maybe wrong, but that's where like in my mind, I can envision all this going. So I, I do think that's going to be the dilemma that the point of the, the climax of this book, Oathbringer. I will say that if we don't figure out by this book, then that's just mean because We've gotten <laughs> what six, seven mentions of it in the last, you know, five, like, you know, last four hundred pages or whatever, and he's really building towards, you know, the recreants and what happened to the recreants. What happened to the recreants? Are the knights radiant? What we think they are, and then if they, he just leaves it for you know book five, that would be really, really mean. <laughs> so that would that would be extremely cruel, but. That's kind of how I feel about Zeph for, so. for much longer. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's not outside of that the what Sanderson is is capable of, Brandon. This <laughs> true, Brandon. Brandon. Come on, no, <laughs> uh, no. This has um this has been more prevalent than than our other cases. My main example is usually Zeth, and Zeth was like our interlude character. You know, we didn't really see him much in the main storyline. Um, and a lot of our things are kind of like that, uh, where this is more direct storyline, and this very directly pertains to Dalinar. So, I also I think Elliot, you put it very well, and I also think that this will come out in the at the end of this book. I think this is kind of the uh, equal trope to Shallan's like family story that we learned in Words of Radiance that was really like impactful um i imagine this is delinar's version real quick before we get to the punchline of this episode i'm gonna talk about gox real quick he i feel sorry for him he is in the middle he's been thrown into the middle of this all because he accompanied lift on that you know He's just going for some treasure in the palace, and then he finds himself face to face with Nail, and then he gets his like throat slit, and Lift saves him, and then they're like, "Oh, he's the chosen one," and they make him prime, and then he comes into this vision, or he keeps getting pulled into this vision by Dalinar, and then he pulls Dalinar aside in this vision. He's like, "Dude, I don't really matter. Like, I'm a." kid that they put on the throne they don't listen to me they don't care about me i'm just on the throne and they shove like education down my throat because they want me to be smart but i'm just here for the snacks like come on man like <laughs> you, i don't i don't matter why are you why are you bringing me to these visions i'm tired man i didn't i didn't think about this but it is actually hilarious <laughs> Since we've read Edge Dancer 2 and, and saw, like, how he really just... He didn't really want to be there whenever all the crazy stuff started happening. You know, he just wanted to get some food or whatever and get out of there. And then now he is in a dream witnessing, like, the day of record... Like, these crazy events and all this stuff. Poor Gox. Like, I, I could picture a, like comedy show from his perspective of just like I bet you're wondering how I got here and then right. it jumps back in time you know and then yeah yeah I'm with you Trevor poor poor Cox he is just kind of tossed in the middle of all this 
Do you think he's really there for an important reason, or is this just comedic? I don't even know if it's that comedic. I just feel sad for him, you know? like I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Poor guy. Like, I... I picture him just being so tired of everything that's happening that he's just like, Delinar, please, man. Like, listen to me. I'm just I'm just a kid. Like, I just want to go be irresponsible. Like, let me, please just let me go. Like, you're making me watch shard blades get surrendered. I don't care. Like, just, <laughs> just leave me alone. That was kind of the vibe I got out of it was like, dude, I know all this is important, but I'm sorry. I I, I just don't care. It's like, yeah. I, I feel like he's just kind of the conduit to get Lyft into the story because she apparently is very important. She's not the first one to show up in this vision, though. All right, so the vision... With some other guy, but we can skip past him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not important. Yeah. The... There's some old person... The vision ends, except it doesn't, is how the, the book phrases it, is, and everything faded to black. And then it didn't, and it kept going. Which, real quick, Odium has the, the power to keep these visions going. Past what, like, the pre-recorded, like, honors videotapes are. So... We'll come back to that later, but Odium keeps his vision going so that he can talk to Dalinar. And I'm just going to turn it over to you guys. This is the first time we've met Odium. This is where you are almost halfway through book three, and we have finally met our, our like, big, big bad guy. What are your guys' impressions of Odium? mentioned this a little bit in the intro but this is not what i expected at all for odium for him to come in as the like gentle and kind old man wearing very godly colors of white and gold with a crown and he's like coming in and addressing down as like oh my son like oh you know child let me let me help you with this and just this very interesting mannerisms that just caught me completely off guard i i can't decide whether he's faking all of this to try and like get to dalinar or if this really is kind of the persona of odium i was i was taken aback and, and caught I, I was very surprised by this chapter very surprised before we got a name, would you like to know who I thought this was? Yes, I, definitely. So, <laughs> this will give it away right away. Um, so, yeah, I, I first off, I do agree with you, Elliot. I thought his description was really cool. It's just like, you know, regal, old, older gentleman wearing gold and white and stuff. And he's also described as Shin. And so I was like, is this Volano? <laughs> is this <laughs> Zeth? Zeth? We have Zeth's son, son Volano. Zeth's grandpa. Is this Zeth, Zeth's grandfather? And I was like, okay, this is probably further in history than Zeth's grandfather. But maybe somewhere back in his lineage there. Um... So that was my thought. And then it said Odium, and I was like, hold on <laughs> a moment here. May I please have a second to breathe? Um, and I, I'm i still kind of putting pieces together here, of like what to make of this. <laughs> I feel like I have criminally overplayed all of our good characters as being bad and criminally <laughs> underplayed our villains as being good <laughs> but odium he was an he made me think i i we know odium is the bad guy he's the he's like so in the first book we had sadius right 
Right. And then it was like kind of ambiguous who's our real, real behind the scenes bad guy. And we find out it's it's Odium. Like there's no real other person. It is Odium. And I was kind of like, yeah, he's kind of got a point here. Not not exactly. But he just talks about like he makes a lot of comparisons to Dalinar of like in order to do this is also probably every antagonist ever he that's like they still say they're doing good right it's like well if if my plan succeeds there will be peace in the world you may just not like how it happens you know right so he is very evil but it was a really intriguing conversation between delinor and odium there and just kind of like well delinor like maybe you'll understand like kind of conversation where you know it, it it was it was interesting and i honestly want to go reread it like eight times to like actually get everything but i did right. not so i i did appreciate the sort of kind of glimpse we got of the real odium where Dalinar is looking at this like, oh, you revealed yourself to me. I know you're just a cranky old man. Now I can take you on. And Odium's like, ho ho, let me show you the real me. And just like gives Dalinar a glimpse of like the raw power that Odium is. Like that was helpful for me to kind of just wrap my mind around what are we dealing with? Okay, we are dealing with a celestial force, this primal pure emotion, I guess is how he describes it. We'll have to talk about that in a second. But it it that did help me picture that we are dealing with a a god we are dealing with a very powerful force that has a goal or a motive or laws that it follows whatever that looks like but i actually got to say i want to sidebar a little bit here real quick i did not like chapter 57 ooh quite a bit from like a i, I don't think this was well written I, I hesitate to say that. Oh, interesting. I, th- I think a lot of people may may disagree with me here. I'd love to hear other people's thoughts. And, I, and here's why. I disagree with you a lot. I think this is a really good chapter, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. So let, let me explain my thoughts, and I'd love to get your guys' thoughts too. Maybe you can help me with this. So I'm reading this chapter, and we've got this description of this kindly man who is talking to Dalinar. He's kind of taking him in a little bit. Like you said, Paul, you're kind of like wrestling with, well, wait a second, is Odium, who is Odium? Is he more of like a Gandalf character than I thought he was? Or, you know, where, where are the questions there? But in my head, I immediately jump to a vision of the kindly old man who's also creepy. Because that's a very, like, that's an understandable villain trope that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the easiest example I can think of would be, like, Director Snow, I think it is, from The Hunger Games. President where Snow. He's, thank you, yes. President Snow from The Hunger Games, where, you know, on first glance, or in some scenes even, he's like a kindly grandfather-type figure. But then just, like, the way he talks is creepy and evil and you can well, just feel it we have a good example in this book right teravangian right is is that is is he not that for you guys we see that now with his talk like with him talking to dalinar specifically i think before that i don't i don't think i ever thought that um especially whenever we see him and zeth right and like all of the stuff there i never thought of that but like you said, like I said, whenever we see him with Dalinar in this book, he seems more like, "Oh, you, you kiddos, like let's let's do this thing." Like, you know, he's more like a mellow and. Yeah, I I kind of think I have Teravangian as lumped in sort of the genuinely nice category. Like when he's having a a not evil genius day, he is genuinely like caring about the people around him or he he wants to do the right thing whereas the the vision i have in my mind is like this is a clear villain he's he's old he's kind of kindly he's sort of grandfatherly he's kind of sweet to like his grandkids but then just the way he talks like rubs you the wrong way and you're like ooh, this is a villain 
So that's the image my mind immediately jumps to in this scene. But what's actually written on the page doesn't appear to be that. And so what I'm what I'm struggling with is I don't feel like Anderson has given me enough to mentally like get a feel for what's going on here. Am I going the right direction with kind of my preconceived notions of what a villain old man should be? Or is this supposed to be a, no, he's genuinely sounds kindly and he genuinely, like you could fall for the trick here that he seems like a nice guy. Or is it the creepy old man that Lyft sort of seems to get a vibe for? I, I can't, I can't figure out how I'm supposed to take this guy. That's why I don't like it. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying. And I don't know if I have a good answer for you besides the f- besides the point of when he finally reveals his his flame behind the mask of Brandon Sanderson writes it as a searing pain to turn all things molten is the is the phrase there. And I think that's so descriptive and dark and like it just makes your skin crawl of like the the most intense hatred that you could possibly imagine that's the incarnation of this being is i think successfully does that for me i don't know if you would agree there but i think by the end of the chapter like i said that moment is helpful for me and that it clarifies that as no he he clearly is a villain like that this is clearly a dark force but I still, I wish I had more description of the old man part of it. I wish I just need more descriptive writing to tell me how this old man is treating Dalinar so that I can figure out, is he kindly but creepy or is he just kindly? Because I couldn't figure it out. I don't know. Paul, what was your kind of take on this character? I think I have the answer, kind of. Um, So I, I wanted to touch a lot on how Odium, like who Odium actually is. So he gives Dalinar basically his synopsis or his description as best as can be described sort of thing. And so Odium is emotion. Right? Odium is... Emotion incarnate is what he calls himself. Yes. Yes, he's emotion incarnate. So that is, as we've understood, he's like wrath and fury and anger and hatred... But he is also, like, the happiest heights and the most, like, joyful feelings and best, like, sensations and, like, right. the saddest moments, the happiest thing, like, like, all of the above. And so I think as we see this old man character, we may be seeing, or, or we may get glimpses of the chipper old fellow and the like super angry grumpy old man you know um which i don't know how accurate that could be or what but that's kind of how i've thought of it of like there is so much range that can be with odium that you kind of just have to accept whatever is in front of you almost so um, I don't know if that helps at all or what. It, it, I, don't, I wouldn't say that helps, but that is how I'm understanding him as like a. I won't understand him, you know. How um, he, how he describes himself, or one of the ways he describes himself, is he is what makes men men. Was the phrase there, and without him, you get people like Nail and the Skybreakers, who are so bent on preserving their oath good or bad that they are going to preserve their oath no matter what and that is what honor would have given you is mindless beings preserving oaths no matter what and without me they won't care about their oaths so that's the impression you're supposed to get is emotion incarnate and what what makes without him you get computers Mm mm-hmm like computers that are doing possibly like good things, but it's like, yeah, I guess his, his argument is the standpoint of 
you can do what you really like care for all these things or like whatever more and more like range and depth to life but with depth and significance and the good things there's also depth and hurt and the bad things so well i think what what odium is describing there seems to me what teravangian is he's the pure logic pure I've calculated this is the best possible solution. Yes, 90% of the people need to die, but trust me, it's it's what we need to do. Like there's no emotion there. He doesn't he's not thinking about what's the right thing to do. He's just come to the logical conclusion of, you know, this must happen or or you know, this is what is supposed to to go down. So that's what he's doing. So I'm I'm now kind of like motive-wise putting Teravangian on one end of the spectrum and Odium on the other almost, kind of. Interesting. I, if we had never met one of the Unmade, I would have such a great prediction right now. And that is that our Unmade would be like kind of unfolding before our eyes in that I, I feel like we're starting to see a like stark contrast between like Dalinar and Teravangian and then also now with like Kaladin and Moash we don't know where Moash is going to go but we've seen Moash be this more like a vengeful character or at least acting on vengeance right Um, and Kaladin has come out to be good and I am almost thinking of them being like paralleled to be in similar situations but maybe handling things opposite like I said, we don't know with Moash yet. I don't know. Um, but also with Teravangian, like you were mentioning, and I almost think of Dalinar as being the flip side of that coin. Um, but I don't think that's actually significant. But if we had not seen an unmade, then that would have been my guess, is like later on we find out it's like whatever other version of you. Okay. Still a good theory about like foils and opposites because it seems like we are getting a bit of a theme of that starting to emerge with like the fused versus the knight's radiant and sort of these kind of this is equal to this on opposite sides perhaps. So I I like where you're going. It's our palindromes. Oh yeah. yeah. Is is yeah. Zeth his own reflection where he starts over <laughs> here and then becomes the other one? Is that your theory, Paul? That's what I would like to see. So, yeah, there's just one mirror in the middle of Roshar, and then, you know. <laughs> so going back to my perception of this Odium character real quick, just to kind of close that out. Paul, your your point that Odium is pure emotion and all of the emotions, not not just the you know hatred and, and violence ones, but the positive ones too, that does actually help me process this a little bit. It, it it could be, you know, when he shows up as the kindly old man, he really is showing up as the empathetic and caring old man because he's channeling those emotions or he is those emotions there in that moment. So I, I think I can reconcile that in my head now. I, I think I still just wish that the chapter, that the text, that the narrator sold that a little more that the narrator was, was giving me a little more to go off of, of is this truly a kindly caring old man that could be mistaken as a good guy? Or is it very obvious from the get-go that this is a villain? Like, that's just, I don't know. I feel like I can't get there with the way it's written now. What I think is important to realize in this chapter is it's a Dalinar point of view chapter. Yeah. And Dalinar himself may not know the answer to that question that you're asking, Elliot, right off the bat. Of, Good point. I don't know if I can, once he realizes exactly who he's talking to, then he kind of, his mind scrambles and says, I'm not ready for this. Like, could I ever be ready for this? And he's completely dropped all description of the physical guy in front of him once he realizes who he's talking to he doesn't care about the physical thing in front of him he and then when odium reveals to him the the flame behind his eyes as he describes it um that's what he's focused on as opposed to the the visual in front of him 
That is, that is a very good point. Dalinar, I think, is even more in shock than we are at this point of being, you know, faced with the ultimate villain all of a sudden out of the blue when he thought he had way more time to prepare. So, yeah, he he's he's in shock. We're in shock. We're definitely not taking in all the the details. So that could that could very well be. All right, let's talk about the conversation between Odium and Dalinar because Odium says a couple very specific things and Dalinar says a couple very specific things that have some interesting repercussions moving forward. Kind of side note, Odium talks to Dalinar about Nail and the Skybreakers. But Dalinar doesn't know anything about Nail and the Skybreakers. Right? The only people who know about Nail is Zeph and Lyft at this point. Right? Like, he doesn't know anything about, about Nail. So I think... Yasna knows a little bit. Uh-huh. She had a she had a discussion with her her friends, her scholar friends, about how they'd f- think they might have found a herald. But but yeah, it's like that's it. So whether y- Yasna's even shared that with Dalinar, I, I think I think you're right based on what we know. There's no reason to expect Dalinar knows what those names are even. Right. And then Odium, I'm just going to throw out a couple buzzwords and you guys can um, tell me your reactions on it. Odium describes himself as shackled. He also says that his motivation, once he is unshackled, it will be to hunt cultivation. Will be his next move, will be to hunt cultivation after he's hunted honor. And there's a couple other ones, but what were those two for you guys? This was that point where we're like, okay, Odium is just pure evil. But then he gives his reasoning and it makes me really want to know what his like vision is or why he's doing this. Cause that's the only way I can make a like a call on what he's doing because he says because Delinar is like, why would you hunt cultivation? He doesn't say that, but like basically, like what 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 for? You know? And Odium is like that. That's the point where he's like, I don't know how to word it super well, but like if if you like like you taking over for Elokar, right? Like needing firm leadership. Like I have this good vision in mind and in plan. It just has to firmly be set into place and that requires killing cultivation basically his reason is the ends justify the means right right he's basically saying just like you dalinar i'll do what it takes to for the greater good sort of thing and Dalinar even you know kind of almost can't argue with that he's like yep i've done that before well and also keep in mind that Odium knows exactly who he's talking to, and that's why he uses the terminology he does. Is he flips it on Dalinar and says, "Oh, come on, you've done the same exact thing. Of in a better world, you're not going to kill this person, but in order to make a better Alethkar, he's kind of referring back to his days with Gavilar. Of in a better world, I wouldn't need to kill this person, but I'm going to for the good of Alethkar." Is his argument. Which, that alone right there is an interesting tidbit. The fact that Odium knows so much about Dalinar actually educates us a little bit about what kind of a being we're dealing with. Because, and I think I've been a little bit skewed by coming from Warbreaker fairly recently. Like, when Warbreaker changed my my assumptions of what God means. Right. Just because we've, we found out in that book that you know, the gods aren't always necessarily as powerful or as good as maybe you think they are. And so I'm kind of going into this wondering, like, how powerful is Odium? Does he know everything? Is he, you know, just aware of everything that's going on in Roshar immediately? Is he omniscient, like that sort of level of power? And 
I was kind of expecting the answer to be no. I was kind of expecting us to kind of encounter like a spread on steroids that knows a lot, but isn't necessarily like everywhere all the time. But the level of detail, like the knowledge he seems to have about Dalinar might suggest otherwise, that perhaps he is sort of an entity that exists everywhere in Roshar, maybe. But I'm trying to get a feel for what we're dealing with, and that was helpful. All right. Are you quick quick sidetrack here? Are you ready for a Cosmere history lesson and you're not allowed to ask any questions? Or else we'll talk for another half hour on it. That that is a tough caveat, but uh if it gets us some information, I, I can probably be strong armed into agreeing to it. All right. So this is in no book that has been that has been published. This is on Brandon Sanderson's website. At the beginning of the Cosmere, there is a being called Adonalsium. And you've heard that phrase before in far back as the Way of Kings. And there's an event called the Shattering. And Adonalsium shatters into 16 shards. And I don't know if you've heard the term 16 shards or if it's been floated around for you. The fandom's website is called the 17th shard just kind of a random fun fact for you there he shatters into 16 shards and they are dispersed between different realms warbreakers uh, warbreaker happens on nalthus and nalthus has one mistborn happens on skadriel and skadriel has two and the stormlight archive happens on roshar and the roshar has three the three shards that Roshar has are. Oh. Someone want to answer this for me? Honor, odium, and cultivation. Correct. And at this point, odium has killed honor to acquire his shard. Oh. So he's not stomping at Roshar. Ah, see, that's where the shackled comes in. Because if you... And I should have prepared more for this. But in our last part, part two of Oathbringer, we've gotten a letter to someone that says, we are well aware of Odium's imprisonment and we are prepared to do nothing about it. And we are prepared to keep him where he is. Why is he so much stronger than the others? Why is he just going around killing them? So there's your history lesson. You're not allowed to ask any more questions, and we can talk about it later, because this episode's going to go way too long to start. Cool. But there, there's your brief history lesson. Um, to answer your question, Elliot, about what a god is defined as in the Cosmere Warbreaker is a poor, uh, <laughs> a, a poor example because everybody who has breaths in that, or I should say, everyone who is of a certain heightening in that yeah. um, in that book is called a god. So different for that. So, so. Kind of branching off of what you just described and going back into the chapter here, a very interesting part of this chapter for me was this bit where Odium like tries to get Dalinar to release him. And that kind of brought me to a full stop. It's like, hold, hold on a second. Why does Dalinar have any power over whether Odium is released or not. That seemed really odd to me. Another another question for you, which I just want you to let to to stew. I like doing this. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many bondsmiths are there? Have you have you ever been given the answer to this? We did get a. It's like an epigraph in a chapter a really long time ago that mentioned that there like are very few. There are three. 
bondsmiths at any given time on Roshar. And Dalinar has bonded the Stormfather. Oh, it's... So are bondsmiths, are they people who have bonded one of our gods? Wow. The bond, are bondsmiths, like, OP? Are they just, like, incredibly... <laughs> to <win? laughs> or also... Well, we know that there there are, like, rules to... I mean, I don't... I guess I don't know this that well, but I've assumed that there are rules to Bondsmith like there are to the other Knights Radiant Orders. But that seems different. Like, I feel like they would all be kind of different based off of their specific... spread. Like, I feel like whoever Bonds Odium is going to be a little different from whoever Bonds Cultivation, you know? unhinged, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also... Is someone gonna bond odium? What's what would happen there? Like, what would happen? <laughs> kind of pushing off of this topic a little bit, but in the same realm, Dalinar has been told either by the Stormfather or by Honor in one of the pre-recorded tapes. I don't remember which one it is, but Dalinar has been told to challenge odium to a contest of champions. Yep, and he does so in this um in this chapter he does it without even knowing what that means like he just throws it out there given the chance he's just gonna do exactly what he's told and says uh i challenge you to a contest of champions and odium stops everything that's happening in the chapter and turns to him and asks what he asks him uh, i don't remember the specifics but he's like do you speak for all of... Is it all of Roshar? Do you speak for the world, Dalinar, Colin? And Dalinar stops himself. It's like, wait, do uh, I? I don't even know. Like, I don't... I'm not prepared for any of this. What am I doing? And <laughs> so there are rules here that Odium knows and Dalinar does not. And the Stormfather might be able to help us after we've come out of this vision here at the end of the chapter. But maybe not. He's only a shard of honor, if you will. He's only a the shadow of, of honor as he describes himself. So Dalinar uh, challenges Odium to a contest of champions. And yeah, he's he doesn't accept. The way he threw that challenge out there for me was just laughable. Like... He's just, he's so overwhelmed at this point. He's like, uh, wow, you're crazy. Uh, that's really big. Uh, do you want to have a challenge of champions? Like, <laughs> what? You couldn't have delivered that a little better? Yeah. He, I just think, like, in his head, he's trying to think of everything he knows about Odium. And then he's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that. And then just says it. Like, yep. And then Odium stops, like, do you speak for the world? And he's like, uh, what? <laughs> Yeah, I, I felt very much, I, I felt a lot of empathy with Dalinar here. I felt like he was very overwhelmed by this experience. I felt very overwhelmed by this experience of, yeah, trying to figure out what's going on here. What am I dealing with? Like Dalinar's going through all of those emotions and feelings at the same time we are as a reader. This whole chapter is a power play from from Odium, right? He's... He's confronting Dalinar and it's like, I am this like unbeatable being and you can't, you have no hope. You know, like he's basically revealing himself to Dalinar and saying, this is what you're up against. Except there's one, there's one line where uh, Odium does not have the, all the cards in his hand. Do you guys remember or do you know what I'm talking about? There's one line that right before he leaves where he's not in control. Elliot, do you have it in front of you, maybe? Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I know what you're referencing. Um, so it, it's, it's where Lyft comes in, right? Right. So at the end, and this does key into another thing I want to talk about is, yeah, at the very end, he like pauses, like mid-sentence, and Dallin's like, what's going on? He's like, oh, nothing, just 
something weird. And then he leaves. And then right after that, Lyft appears. And it's, it seems like, yeah, Lyft had some sort of effect on him. Like he wasn't expecting her or she's some sign of, she is some sort of like force that he can sense, but maybe doesn't understand. Like, yeah. And the Stormfather had a similar reaction to her as well. When we saw yes. Lyft for the first time in these visions, Stormfather's all upset. They're like, you're not allowed in here. Get out. You know, like that, get off my lawn type thing. And Odium has the same thing of like, he turns his head and looks at the boulder. And then Dalinar is like, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, nothing. I'll talk to you later. Bye. And leaves. And then Lyft pops out. And it's like, that guy is creepy. And this, like, okay, a new lift was special. We've known lift was special for a long time. Like, we know she's different. She seems to break the rules. There's, there's, there's certain rules that are supposed to be the case, and lift doesn't fit in, in the lines. She has these strange abilities that don't seem to be even tied to like her edge dancer role. She can interact with her spren where no one else is supposed to be able to do that. She can. She has power over the Stormfather. Like. It just seems to be ramping up and up and up. And then all of a sudden, she's an unknown for Odium? Like, whoa. Like, double whoa. Does this mean Lyft is some sort of power, like, outside even our three shards of Adelnauseum, as we've just learned? Like, dang. <laughs> yeah. Is is Lyft an even bigger player than we than I assumed already? Paul, help me figure out what lift is. So my mind's getting blown here. You may be right. I mean, so one of my thoughts was like maybe maybe Windle is cultivation. You know, like like there's got to be something bigger here. But then wouldn't she be a bondsmith and not an edge yeah. dancer? Unsure of the rules there. Um, but I kind of like your thought of what if she's not from these three things. I don't know how Spren plays into that. There would have to be some other shard that involves Spren, or like... Because Wendell... I mean, maybe he's not a Spren, because she can, like, utilize him, physic like, his physical formation. Like, I don't know. I thought, I thought I had a thought going there, and I just don't... I, it's okay. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> our make it our make minds sense, are exploding. <laughs> make it make sense. Odium is melting our brains. Odium is melting our brains. All, All right. right. Uh, are we ready to move past the first chapter? <laughs> it's actually the second <laughs> chapter, but yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. All right. So. Real quick before we jump into our interludes, part the end of part two. What are you guys' thoughts on part two of Oathbringer? Was it too slow? Are you excited for what's coming? What are your give me some feedback on Oathbringer part two? It definitely ended really great. Like really great. Like the ending was really exciting. Um, overall, I thought it was good. We get to see a lot of new perspectives uh, from our Bridge 4 members. So I thought it was really exciting, and I, I really enjoyed it. I too thought it was good. I, I It was a little slow in, in parts, and I think, I, I, I think a book like this has to have some slow parts. You can't have, you know, constant action for 1,300 pages. That would just be exhausting. So I... I I think the slowness maybe helps us and that it's given us a chance to kind of reorient ourselves, figure out, okay, who, who are now the big players in the world? What are our different groups of people? What are they trying to do? We're figuring all this out. And then right at the end, yeah, it, it ramps us up fast here with, oh, and okay, here's the big bad villain that we've been wondering about for a long time on the scene right now. Let's go. So now... <laughs> Now it's like adrenaline is pumping going into part three. I'm very curious where where we're going to go. But I I think it was a good journey. It was a good journey through part, part, part two. We had to earn it a little bit, but the payoff was good. 
yeah, I agree that this time around Bridge 4 is our world building. We've gotten some point of view from Bridge 4, and it's kind of been the slower, like, you know, this little corner of, you know, let's, let's learn about Horn Eaters for a chapter, and, you know, let's learn about Scar for a chapter, and then the little niche stuff there, but I, I do enjoy part two of Oathbringer, even though a lot of people say it's slow. <laughs> <laughs>